if you feel like you are in a position uh, where you're overworked, underpaid, you're making sacrifices for your mental and physical health, um, but you're also constantly being told that you're just lucky to have a seat at the table and um, you know there's so few jobs and so many people fighting for them. You push yourself past the point of no return until your body has to physically tell you to slow down and stop. And nobody should get to that place. And what I really want young people to take away from this book is that's not true. There aren't a hundred other girls ready to take your place because no one can do your job exactly the way that you do your job. You are a person, you are not a position. Welcome to season four of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we'll be talking with some fierce female leaders about things we really care about, including the gender gap and social justice. We hope that these conversations spark your passion and sense of agency to affect positive change. Are you ready? Episode 11, Things We Care About, Representation in Media. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Hey, Liv. Hey. (laughs) Hey, it was so awesome having you home for fall break. I love New England Octobers. Me too. My my highlight was not only the apple picking, but more importantly, eating everything you baked with the apples. (laughs) I agree. Fall is definitely my favorite season. But you know what else is in October? International Day of the Girl. And I know that Live Girl did something pretty awesome on International Day of the Girl. Do you want to talk about it? Oh my God. It was amazing. We, it was, there was so much girl power. We held a Day of the Girl rally at the Connecticut State Capitol, and it was incredible. Not only did many powerful government and community leaders join us and, and raise their voices, but most importantly, we were able to shine a light on some incredible young women and hear their stories and hear their perspectives on why we need to remove the systemic barriers that hold girls back. So it was just, it was an incredible afternoon in Hartford. It was a beautiful blue sky day. And there just was so much girl power there. And a big shout out to Grace Academy, their step team performed and an eighth grader, Janelle, read an original poem that she wrote called uh, The Future Is Us Women. It was incredible, like tear invoking, so, so inspiring. That's amazing. And unfortunately, I couldn't be there, but I saw all the videos and everything. And I mean, it filled me with some serious girl power. So I can only imagine how you felt. I know you were there with us in spirit, Olivia. And I know you were amplifying the Day of the Girl on on Penn's campus. Of course. I told everyone to wish me a happy International Day of the Girl. (laughs) Speaking of girls, like we've got an incredible author who wrote a book about girls um, to to talk to today. You want to get into that interview? Yeah. Iman Harikia is an Iranian-American, New York-based writer, editor, author, activist, and musician. A 2017 recipient of the Annabelle Bonner Medal and a nationally acclaimed journalist, she's been published in Vogue, Teen Vogue, Bustle, HuffPost, and many other outlets. Her debut novel, A Hundred Other Girls, was published in July to critical acclaim. Welcome to Confident, Iman. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Iman, it's so amazing to have you on our the Confident podcast, especially timed around the day of the girl. And you're so young mm-hmm. and you've accomplished so much. You're such a incredible model. Um, I can't wait for 
our girls to hear this interview and to read your book, which we'll be talking about later. But let's start out. We always like to start out with a fun question. Um, tell us something that Google doesn't know about you. Oh, gosh. Um, besides the fact that I bumped my head on my bookcase trying to shut a light last night and have oh, a, no. you can't tell, a bump the size of Jupiter. <laughs> Something that Google does not know about me is that um, I recently got engaged uh, to my long I'm very excited as someone who has written about sex and relationships and love for so long. It is um, kind of surreal to be sort of celebrating and honoring my own. So, oh, congratulations. That's wonderful news. Thank you. Yeah. Speaking of the fact that you do write about sex and, you know, taboo topics such as that, what inspired you to begin writing about these themes? And have you received like any backlash from it? Um, No, that's a great question. I think I've always been really fascinated by uh, the female body and puberty. Um, I worked as a lifestyle staff writer at Bustle um, when I was a little bit older than entry level, reporting into the sex and relationships editor, and I just fell in love with the vertical. Um, I just love how universal the topics of not just sex, relationships, dating, singledom are, um, but also, you know, the undercurrents of discussions about consent, sexuality, gender identity. Um, I love that there is something for everybody within the umbrella of sexual exploration and agency. And I also, um, one of the topics that I'm the most passionate about and truly could rant about for a year, and I will spare your listeners, is um, sex education in America and how terrible the sex education system is and how I believe that so many of like the sociopolitical issues in this country um, all boil down to the ways in which we arm young people with information about themselves and their bodies. Um, And I, I really just fell in love with the idea of, um, creating sex education materials that were accessible, uh, conversational, non-judgmental, that um, were available to anyone who was Googling questions about themselves. So uh, that's something that's so incredible about um, digital media and the fact that now there are so many resources for people um, who would probably never have an opportunity to um, ask questions and get answers about their changing bodies, their urges, their desires, um, their fears. It's it's a really cool time to be <laughs> a journalist. Um, and was there any backlash? Absolutely. I mean, whenever you, pack, you post and you're publish anything online, um, inevitably there are going to be people who disagree with you. Um, I definitely think it took my own family a second to get used to the idea that I would be sort of publishing pieces about everything from like, you know, masturbation to like polyamory. Um, but ultimately they've always been incredibly supportive of my work. Um, and I think that they're just proud that, um, I'm, so committed to this larger mission of like, again, arming young people with information. Um, And then obviously whenever you're writing vulnerably about yourself, um, whenever I publish anything first person specifically, you're gonna get sort of like creepy DMs, um, 
people from your past will sort of pop up. I once got a lengthy email from the ex-girlfriend of an ex-boyfriend. Um, oh <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. When I was working at Teen Vogue, this is right after their site had published um, a guide to safe anal sex. Um, and like hundreds of angry mothers were calling in daily and guess who was fielding those calls? <laughs> the assistant. So, um, I am no stranger to, uh, you know, like public criticism online. And I just think ultimately you got to take it with a grain of salt and remember that there are so many people who you are serving outside of the minority who decide to say something. Okay. Yeah. Everything you just said is so incredible. I just <laughs> want to say, um, and, you know, I just saw this quote this morning that if you don't have haters, are you even living right related to the <laughs> related to the backlash? But and the other quote that comes to mind is, you know, well behaved women seldom make history. But I love your writing so much. It's bold. Yeah. It's honest. It's vulnerable. It's authentic. And it's what our world needs. And like you said, like as, as it relates to the sex education, knowledge is power. And mm -hmm. for you to provide that information in an accessible format for 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 young people i i love that and i also love I, I love gen z gen z are the cycle breakers they're open about everything there are no more taboos um you're helping to break those taboos i mean i just think that's so cool i absolutely love uh gen z as well i just i feel very like reinvigorated by youth culture and movements and i just love the idea that Gen Z is taking topics of conversation that are not necessarily new and normalizing them and creating discourse and looking at them through an analytical lens. Um, it's so exciting, especially conversations that have often been trivialized, that are misogynistic, um, or have been treated with misogyny in the past. Uh, it's really thrilling to look at uh, what Gen Z is doing with like the romance genre, for example. Um, it just, it makes me feel lucky to be alive um, in this era and uh, thrilled to see what the next sort of like cyber revolution will look like. Well, I know Olivia keeps us honest in our household. I, mean, like, <laughs> I try. <laughs> and she's making sure there are no taboos in the West household. And mm -hmm. For that, but but again, Iman, like you're so bold, and as yeah. an Iranian American, I'm just wondering on what's going on right now with the Iran Iranian women's movement. If if you want to comment on that, or what would you want our listeners to know about that? Um, how can we engage in that? Of course, um, I am definitely uh, trying to um, not publicly comment too much on the uh, Islamic Republic because I have family and loved ones understood, understood. Iran, traveling back and forth. But I will say that um, what's happening in Iran is a fight for equality, full stop. It's um, a plea for human rights um, and equitable human rights for all women and marginalized people. And um, ultimately this isn't a question of religion. It's a question of freedom of choice and theocracy. So um, I, stand in solidarity 
uh, with the women of Iran. And if you are non-Iranian and want to learn more about what's happening in Iran, my DMs are open. And if you are non-Iranian and do know what's happening in Iran, but feel like there's no way for you to help, just boosting information um, is actually really key uh, because there's a lot of propaganda and misinformation um, especially in the West, about um, a lot of the Middle East. So if you are able to, I'd appreciate it. But if not, I completely understand as well. No, thank you. And I, I, I stand in awe of the courage yeah. of these women. Um, it's incredible to bear witness. Yeah, me too. Um, I feel very, very proud to be an Iranian woman. And if anything, I wish that there was more that I could do from New York, um, and I'm constantly sort of checking in and reevaluating and educating myself on steps that I can take to help strengthen the movement. But, um, you know, I think that we're no longer looking at protests, we're looking at a revolution. Um, and what a honor to be able to witness sort of like the first sparks that might turn into the fire of a revolution. It's very, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, it is very incredible. And you're right. I think some of the best things that we can do from this distance is just educate ourselves and spread that awareness and really stand in solidarity because you're right, it is very exciting to witness. Um, moving on to your most recent accomplishment though, you recently published your debut novel, A Hundred Other Girls. And I must say, I read it so quickly. And as like, I'm in college right now, I have a lot of classes, I really don't have much time for reading, but I read that book so quickly and it was amazing. Um, so congratulations, first of all. And can you talk about the process of writing a book and, you know, if it's any different from your work as a journalist, you know, if that transition was a big change or anything, just talk about it with us. Well, thank you so much for reading and for your kind words. Um, that means the absolute world to me. Um, never gets old. The book's been out for a little over two months now, and I still like get butterflies every time I meet a new reader. So um, thank you so much. I really, really have had the most incredible experience um, and I'm blown away by the reception of the book. Um, writing a realistic fiction book has been a lifelong dream of mine, um, but it's a completely different industry than working as a journalist or a writer or reporter, um, transitioning from media to publishing. I definitely think there's a lot um, that I learned working as a journalist and then an editor that um, helped make me a stronger author when I sat down to finally write the book. But I don't think there is necessarily a through line. There are different muscles. Um, that said, like I studied creative writing in school. I've always been passionate about writing in all different formats, uh, whether that's prose, poetry, lyric. Um, so I, I always knew that um, I wanted to write in some capacity. And this idea was sort of, I don't know, floating around in my brain for a while, uh, probably from my first ever media job. And um, I pulled from every position I've ever worked in the industry, um, entry level, assistant intern, top level, site lead, senior editor, when I had a little bit more of like a peek behind the curtain. I also pulled from industry gossip, news stories that broke in the past few years, uh, stories from friends, from coworkers, to sort of create this sort of monster media publication um, and a new sort of coming of age story. I like to describe it as like a checking in on the world 
of Devores Prada since the digital boom um, and seeing how the industry is doing and how it's evolving and where it's headed from the lens of sort of young, hungry, marginalized people. And I, as I mentioned, had the thought process percolating in my brain as I moved from like heritage media company to sort of like new buzzy tech startups and um, watch the pieces start to fall and watch these brands navigate things like clickbait and content mills and let mass layoffs and budget cuts and sort of mentally taking notes. But it wasn't until I got to a point where I started feeling a little disillusioned with the industry myself, um, a little bit lost, not really sure what my next steps looked like that I uh, decided that I was ready to write this book because I wanted to have a project that was all my own, um, that I owned 100%, that I didn't have to answer to a manager or a brand or a conglomerate, um, that I could come home every day from work and sit down and just write. Um, and it evolved into 100 other girls. And I'm so proud of the uh, finished product. And more so than anything, just excited that it's resonating with other young women because I always wanted to write um, the type of book that I really enjoy reading and fell in love with reading because of when I was young. So um, it's cool that it's found its audience. It's all I could ever really ask for. Yeah, and I must say, one of the things that, as you said, really resonated with me was the amount of diverse characters. Um, I think that we as a society are getting better at it, but representation is still so often lacking um, in so much of today's media, um, in just, you know, positions of power, everything, especially for people of color and LGBTQ people. Um, and you do a great job of like having such a wide range of um, identities represented in your book. So can you talk about the importance of representation and also specifically what writing a book as an Iranian American, about an Amer Iranian American as an Iranian American means to you? Yeah, no, I 100%, thank you for saying that and for taking note of that. Um, I mean, it's multifaceted. On one hand, I really wanted to capture New York and the industry as I experienced it um, accurately and this city and especially entry level in this industry are filled with diverse people of color, queer people, um, different able-bodied people. It's it's so often, um, in my opinion, not like painted in those vibrant shades um, that I've experienced it as I've moved through it and lived through it and grown up in it. So um, on the one hand, I really wanted to write an accurate depiction of New York and what the industry looks like. Um, on the other, I thought really intentionally about um, wanting to have a lot of different diverse people who are all marginalized in different ways um, so that there wasn't one token diverse person, one token person of color, one token queer person. Um, and I really wanted those identities to like inform the way that they move throughout the world, but not necessarily be used as a plot device. Um, I didn't want them to be diverse characters. I wanted them to be characters who happened to be diverse, who also had their own arcs and motivations and were fleshed out. Um, and you could see where they were coming from because so often I feel like um, I've read books that have included diverse characters who then serve to like teach the MC about their identity um, and are often just used as a, a foil or a plot device. And I really didn't want to fall into that trap. Um, I grew up 
devouring a lot of like YA and new adult uh, lit and the characters that I resonated with were like messy and (laughs) made mistakes and were hilarious and fought with friends and made up with friends and had love interests and had love go awry. And I wanted all of that, um, but I wanted it for a Middle Eastern MC because there's so little, um, I mean, growing up, I don't think I read a single book with a Middle Eastern MC. Now there's a little bit more representation, but I think it's it's difficult to find a book that centers uh, Middle Eastern people that doesn't also rely on an exploration of um, like religion or race. And mm-hmm. I really uh, wanted Nora to be complex. And um, I wanted her to um, go on sort of a character journey that of course, because she's Middle Eastern, her identity plays a role in how she lives her day-to-day life as it does for all people. But it's not necessarily like the entire plot isn't predicated on the fact that she is Middle Eastern. Um, So it's fascinating to me that, you know, as Nora is uh, navigating the difference between tokenization and representation, uh, the, the reader is also subconsciously doing the same thing. Um, so it's sort of like mirror experiences. Uh, and in terms of the Nora's sort of interrogation of the difference between tokenization uh, versus representation in the book, that also was very accurate to my, my own experience in media. I think that during the personal essay boom and the digital boom, a lot of like young marginalized people were recruited to these big mass media companies, and then they were encouraged to sort of just exploit their own identities to a certain extent. Um, You know, it's Latinx Heritage Month right now. So many incredible Latinx uh, writers I know are only tapped during Heritage Month, but aren't necessarily asked to report on topics that are separate from their identity. Um, The same could be said for like queer writers being asked to tell their coming out story again and again and again. Um, Black writers being asked to write stories about how to be anti-racist for white people to consume. These are all examples of how um, people of color and marginalized people can be tokenized in the workplace. And then on top of that, these uh, people are, you know, underpaid, overworked, get burnt out very quickly and are leaving the industry in droves. And I kind of wanted to talk about that experience um, as someone who experienced something similar uh, firsthand and also uh, sort of interrogate what it means to have to, you know, choose from two really bad options. Um, Representation that isn't necessarily true representation or no representation at all. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's, I think at the core of what Nora is investigating in the book and um, sort of inherently because of the nature of all of the, the cast of characters, the reader is going to be interrogating that same thing as well. That's incredible. And I have to say, like, hearing your intentionality behind the writing mm-hmm. makes me appreciate the book and the story even more. And also, like, I can detect the fondness you have of, the, of this character, Nora, um, and which makes me wonder, like, how long did you live with Nora before you published this? And was Nora your first story idea? Because we've We've interviewed other authors who I know, like Olivia Lauren Oliver said she pitched, I think, like 10 novels before she she got one published. So how, how was that process for you? So how long did you live with Nora, first of all? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you sound so fond of her. 
I am so fond of Nora. Um, Nora now to me feels like a little sister. Um, and I feel like equal parts irritated and like defensive of her at all times. Um, she is truly like a part of me now. Um, hundred other girls, which I had originally self-titled clickbait, um, but spelled like the click clickbait, um, was the first idea for a novel, um, I ever pursued. Uh, it was, wow. Story <laughs> I wrote in its totality. Um, but as I said, like the idea for the book was sort of percolating in my brain for about like five, six years before I actually like wrote it, um, or sat down to map it out. So I, I'd say that I now, because the publishing process for me took about three years, I would say that I have been living with Nora probably since 2017, um, was the first time that. I started shaping her character in my mind. Um, not to say though, that like every publishing experience I've had has been seamless. Like since drafting hundred other girls, like I've written full manuscripts that I've shelved. Like it's, it's the process is not linear. It ebbs and it flows. Um, and I think that a lot of being a writer is learning things through trial. <laughs> tribulation like you never know trial and error that's the best like everything in life right flesh out an idea um and I've learned a lot of lessons uh definitely along the way about what ages well what doesn't what's sellable what's not um but I I guess I got very lucky uh this was my first idea that I pursued it's the story I queried with um it's the first time I went to submission and I just think it was the right it was the right book at the right time um and I think it's got a familiar trope at the heart of it. Um, it's very, it's multidimensional in that it's sort of like a coming of age again in your twenties story, but there's also workplace drama. There's, you know, minor romance. There's that like beautiful sister relationship. So a lot of like familiar tropes that readers, in my opinion, as a reader love um, and are excited to recognize when they pick up the back of the book and are, are giving it a read. <laughs> well, and there's also work-life balance issues, right? Which is very familiar to a lot of people. I think living through the pandemic, you know, there's a lot to talk about burnout. Um, what's your, I mean, are you writing writing about that from a familiar, familiar place? Do you feel like you've got that nailed? Do you have any advice to our, our, our young women listening about how to achieve work-life balance? Yeah, 100%. Um, I really think that the question at the heart of the novel is, you know, what is a dream job? Does a dream job exist? Um, and I love, you know, the slogan that the publisher came up with for the, the book, which is how far would you go for hundred, if there are hundred other girls ready to take your place? Um, and I, I really think that that gets at this sort of uh, question of the just lucky to be here mentality, right? Like. Mm -hmm if you feel like you are in a position uh, where you're overworked, underpaid, you're making sacrifices for your mental and physical health, um, but you're also constantly being told that you're just lucky to have a seat at the table. And, um, you know, there's so few jobs and so many people fighting for them. You are then um, oftentimes you push yourself past the point of no return until your body has to physically tell you to slow down and stop. And nobody should get to that place. And what I really want young people to take away from this book is 
that's not true. There aren't a hundred other girls ready to take your place because you are not your JD. No one can do your job exactly the way that you do your job. You are a person, you are not a position. Um, there's only one you. And I, I don't want to spoil this for listeners who haven't read, but um, I really love the ending of hundred other girls because I think that she really uh, learns that lesson the hard way and um, is able to sort of separate her dreams from the job, herself from the, from the title. Um, you know, she is able to sort of pursue her passions outside of a workplace. And um, God, I hope that young people read this and don't make the same mistakes that I made when I was young and hungry um, and hurt themselves in the process because it's, it's not worth it. Um, and hopefully employers will read it too and, <laughs> and uh, have a conversation with their HR departments. <laughs> I love that yeah. you're not a position, you're not a person, you're not a position, you're a person. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And it's especially relevant. I mean, in this age of like what we're calling quiet quitting, right? I mean, I think people are trying to learn that lesson and people are realizing that something does have to change. But for fans of your writing, such as myself, I'm dying to know what is next for you. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Big question. First of all, thank you for even calling yourself. Like it's still... We're both fans. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> thousands of Live Girl fans after this. Yeah, podcast. everyone needs to read your book. Y'all, I'm just like, I'm a writer. Like, writers <laughs> don't have fans. Like, we're, we're behind the computer mole people. Like, You're you know, a cool no. writer, though. Come on. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you, Sherry. Um, yes. Um, well, for readers who, you know, love to the book or familiar with my writing um, for different outlets and want to see what's next. Um, I'm not allowed to give too much away, but um, I do have some big announcements in the pipeline. I have been doing a lot of freelance writing as well. And I write a monthly newsletter called Cherry Picked um, where I um, send out a uh, coming of age essay on the 15th of every month. And every Friday you get a current state of the union a la Massey Block. So what I will say is um, if you wanna read more from me, I would follow me on Instagram. If you want to get updates first and foremost, and also laugh every Friday, I would subscribe to my newsletter, Terry Picked. And if you loved like the humorous writing, the subtle cultural commentary, the diversity and the pure chaos that was 100 Other Girls, I would add me on Goodreads. I would look out for big announcements because I've been really busy. So I've got cool stuff in the pipeline and I just, I can't wait to, I, I truly cannot wait to share with you guys. Oh, I'm so excited. And we'll include all that information in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you guys so much. Um, and also if you ever have any questions or you want to um, sort of shoot the shit, excuse my language further, um, any questions about the publishing process, about freelance writing. Um, I try to make myself as accessible as possible and be good about checking my DMs. Like, let's chat. Uh, I'm very passionate, as I know you are, about arming young women, especially young women of color, uh, with the information that they need to succeed. Because I feel like so much is gatekept and the beauty of the internet is that we can sort of stop that process. It feels so, please reach out to me. <laughs> 
It really is so important. And honestly, I feel like I've learned so much from you. Um, but we do have we do have to, you know, wind down and we have three closing speed round questions that we like to ask all of our guests just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and so I'll start with what writer would you most like to work with? To work with? Um, in a Living or dead. Sense? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Writer or author? I'm like freaking Either, out. any, <laughs> all of the above. Um, okay, since it's rapid fire, I gotta go quickly. Um, I'm a huge like Emily Henry fan. Um, mm. And I think she's so fabulous. Um, she and Carly Fortune uh, wrote like my favorite books of the year. So I would absolutely love to collaborate with them in any capacity because I think they're so incredible. Um, and then in terms of journalists, I love entertainment writers like Hunter Harris and Naomi Fry. I think that they're like the future of entertainment writing and profiling. And um, I feel like I'm constantly learning from them. So if any of those four people are listening to this, <laughs> hands are open like let's co-write a book let's start a podcast so all right dms are open um okay next question so if you could choose anyone in the world who would you like to have dinner with tonight oh my gosh um meg cabot i am like constantly oh. trying to get meg cabot to know that i exist um <laughs> is the reason that i fell in love with reading and um so much of my prose has been influenced and inspired by her writing style. I even acknowledged her in my book, like that's the level of obsession that I'm at. So Meg, I just wanna thank you for your service. Uh, again, if you're hearing this, please, please, please get back to me. Like, let me cook you dinner. <laughs> I'm a shit cook, I'm gonna do my best. And if all fails, we'll get takeout. Okay, I feel like if Meg doesn't know who you are yet, she, she will soon. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> and finally what are you obsessed with right now oh my god <laughs> so much uh light fixtures I just moved so like I I've been buying like really cool light fixtures Ooh, selling them cool too, like, the art, the art behind it is cool too yeah, I've been, I've been, I mean, I write a, the currency of the union and I update everyone on what I'm obsessed with every week, but I'm currently obsessed with light pictures. I'm currently obsessed with um, calling slang dialect. Um, I'm currently obsessed with saying at this juncture instead of in the moment. I'm currently obsessed with clogs, um, whether that's like the Boston Burke clog or like a chunky has-been clog. Um, I'm currently obsessed with my fiance. <laughs> um, I, I'm currently obsessed with fantasy romance. Um, and if you've got good fantasy romance recs for me, I'm begging you, um, like bonus points if they're spicy. I am looking for my next read, message me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I listed 10 million things. No, that, that's an exciting list. And I just want to say that I, yeah. I hope that your obsession with your fiance continues for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. I would like to say that I'm currently obsessed with your book. So yeah. everyone should yeah. go give no, it a read. Yeah, my book. I'm obsessed <laughs> That's a perfect segue. So, because we do have to say goodbye, but Iman, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And to all of our listeners, 
go now run quick to your nearest bookstore and buy a hundred other girls and read it and dm iman and let her know what you think so thank you so much iman and um, we wish you all the success and we'll be watching for this exciting announcement 